Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are on episode 152. And today we're going to bring you an interview that we had with Tommy Angelo and Lee Jones from Poker Simple. And I think you're going to enjoy that. Just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, as always, thanks to our sponsor, Running Aces. They are our official sponsor. They've been there since the beginning. Uh, thanks to them and their players of the week this week. Tim Ross with a nice 38 points, Jay Brousseau, Rick Keister, and I somehow got in there again, fourth place, even though I didn't play the last half of the week, I managed to hang in there with a good start to the week, and I got fourth place. A couple of things coming up. The first thing, please mark your calendars, come to it if you can, if you're around Minnesota. Uh, next Monday night, October 28th, we are doing our first meet and greet. We're doing it at the Oodipals, that is Oodipals. <laughs> the brewing company uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, we've got all the information out on the website, but uh, we're going to start gathering around 5.30. We're going to do a uh, a recording of the podcast from 6 to about 7 o'clock, and then we're just going to hang out, watch some Monday Night Football. If you're a member of our community, you'll get buy one, get one on your first uh, round. And so just going to kind of hang out and get to know everybody and just spend some time together. So that's next Monday, October 28th. Uh, before that, on Wednesday night, October 23rd, we have Chapter 4 of our book study. We're going through Andrew Brokus's book, Playing Optimal Poker. That starts at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. So uh, if you want to be a part of that and you're a member, uh, the information is in the membership area. Otherwise, just reach out to me and uh, you can watch the recording later as a member uh, as well. Uh, NFL Survivor Pool, down to 10 people. Uh, still kind of hanging out there, 10 people left, so it's getting real now. Uh, you should jump on the Discord channel if you want to hang out and chat with us about hand histories. Uh, we've been doing a phenomenal job of railing each other in tournaments, had a lot of success with Rec Poker Nation, and it's fun to be out there uh, celebrating each other's victories. So get on Discord. That's free, open to the public. Uh, if you want to become a member, you can have a 30-day free trial. Check that out. Both of those links are available at rec.poker. So just go up there. It's got all the information. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter get the uh, This Week in Rec Poker, which I call twerp. <laughs> uh, so check that out and just stay plugged in through Facebook, Twitter, or through the podcast. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over and you're now going to hear the interview that we did with Tommy Angelo and Lee Jones. All right, everybody. Well, as promised, we are here with Lee Jones and Tommy Angelo, Poker Simple, among, among other things. Uh, guys, first of all, thanks for jumping on the show and, and tell us a little bit about where you're calling in from. We are in lovely Oakland, California. Lovely and, uh, Oakland, California. Yeah, so we're right across the bay from San Francisco, which you would be able to see out that window. If, if we had blind. the lines open. Right. Nice. And uh, Lee lives in, uh, we Berkeley. live on the Berkeley-Oakland border. Berkeley is a city and a, and a university. And a universe. Right. <laughs> and so Lee lives like uh, five minutes away. So, so this has really worked out uh, that we live so close together and we're making these videos. So we make nice. the videos right here in my house. We put a backdrop up and we got a camera and, uh, it's gonna start up. and um, yeah, we're just, uh, it's just really uncanny how well it worked out. Lee was living in Nashville when we first cooked this idea up. And then since then he moved back to the Bay Area, which is where Lee used to live. And that's when we met. Okay. <laughs> Well, we appreciate you guys coming on. I mean, I know, Tommy, you've been on the show before. We ended up having a great conversation, a two-part 
uh, sort of thing. But and I know that, you know, it's really hard for you to express yourself. You're very quiet. You're very subdued. <laughs> so, so I'm hoping that Lee will actually bring a little more energy than you did last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's start with just tell us about, you know, the, this whole idea. I know a lot of people know what Poker Simple is, but a lot of people don't. Uh, so why don't you just kind of back us up a little bit, talk about Poker Simple or anything else that you guys got going on? Well, we, uh, we've both, we've known each other for, I think it's like 15 years now or something yeah, like that. Something. that we first met on two plus two and, uh, back when two plus two was small enough that you could actually meet people there. <laughs> and, uh, we, we sort of just like bumped into each other. We were both playing limit hold'em in the Bay area and, um, we were both musicians and we kind of connected across that. And then you know, we've sort of just stayed in touch one way or another. We've played some music together and we've occasionally talked about doing a poker project together. Um, and it never really happened until really the beginning of this year. And um, I left Poker Stars and I, I was thinking that I might be headed out towards the Bay Area. And I said to Tommy, you know, what do you think? Should we do something together? And he was like, well, you know, I, I could use a cool project. And, you know, we, we first started talking about it and it was the first thing that we started talking about has looks nothing like what we ultimately ended up doing, which is, you know, which is fine. Um, and we just kept drinking more coffee and having more discussions. <laughs> and, and finally, this, this poker simple idea just kind of evolved out. Okay. What, give us the, the 10,000 foot view. What, what is poker simple? Poker simple is me and Lee talking about low stakes cash games to cash game fanatics. Yeah. That's basically it. And, and what we do is in, instead of like going through hands, we go through topics. So like one episode might be, you know, very, the way we put it is that small topics will produce small videos. You know, so one of the ones I think is one of our best ones is called folding pocket jacks before the flop. So we talk about just that. Right. And we've got one that we're going to record tomorrow on um uh i forgot well we're gonna record several tomorrow but <laughs> like bankroll okay mm-hmm. so the topic of bankroll you know it's not a topic that that it gets written about now and then but it isn't really discussed specifically for people playing one three and two five how do you manage bankroll when you when you're just basically maybe going session to session you know you got five wins going do you save that for poker do you spend it on the TV, you know, I mean, these are like real life issues that come up for real players. And so we're really taking a look at all these different angles of poker. Most of most of everything we've done so far has been strategy. So yeah, like six out of six have been strategy. Now we're just branching off into some of the other topics. But I I would say that a a good description of our audience is serious amateurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, please don't, please don't watch us. If you think you're going to crush the Germans. (laughs) <laughs> um, but, just a blanket statement all germans right all germans yeah. but, I mean, you know the germans that we mean right um but in general uh the thing is is that 99.9 percent of poker players are not playing against the germans so we we are addressing those players and saying if you're playing in a one two a one three a two five game and honestly some five ten games these are things that we believe can make you a, a improve your results in any of those games. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love and, that. And, and the, the premise, you guys basically, you get together, you talk about these topics, then you've just been putting them out on YouTube for free, right? Anybody can grab these things? Yeah. Yep. So what, gonna, you know, what's the, what's the channel? Is it a Poker Simple channel or what's the channel yeah. on YouTube? It's a YouTube channel called Poker Simple. And it, the, if you search for Poker Simple, one word, and either one of our names, you know, you'll get there right away. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess the, there's really, it's hard to describe it. It's, it's sort of like describing a movie. It's like you can talk about the plot and everything, but once you watch five minutes of the movie, you've got a real good sense of what's going on. Yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll and, figure out what we're up to. Yeah, and that, that's kind of how these are. We, you know, we, one thing we learned is that at the beginning, we were recording them and it, we'd, we'd record and they were like, we were getting overly scripted. You know, we'd have this nice outline of material. Oh, yeah, we want to say this. You say this. You say this. And what we learned painfully was that we are not actors at all. You know, we we did the editing. We edited it all down. We showed it to our wives. And they, they were, said, you may not yeah. release this on the internet. <laughs> yeah. This cannot leave the building is the way my wife put it. Right. And uh, so what we learned was the very, very first shoot we did was Lee came over. We sat his phone on the table and he had a hand he had just played, nine, eight of clubs. And we just talked about this hand. And it was so spontaneous. And I was like, at one point, I was like, how could you play so bad? You know, you made this terrible. It was really funny conversation, right? But it was really lively and, and, and authentic. And then what we realized is that's the way we do our videos, is we figure out our topic. We figure out a couple bullet points. And then we just roll tape. And we talk. And so spontaneous stuff comes up yeah. during the conversation. Uh, and it, it, it's just a really lively way to attack yeah. some of these topics. And then in the editing room, we can cut all out all the minutes of blah, blah, that <laughs> made no sense whatsoever. And we end up with a pretty tight video. That's like eight to 10 minutes long. So, so I like that you said it was a really fun, uh, fun conversation when Lee comes over and he says, here's how I played nine, eight of clubs. And you say, how can you play so terrible? So from your perspective, it sounds like a really fun conversation. I'm not so sure from Lee's perspective. <laughs> yeah. It was a fun conversation. I've, I've butchered plenty of hands in the <laughs> right, past. Exactly. I'll hands in the future. It's like, yeah. you know, this is one hand that I butchered. It's like one of many. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, I actually had, a, I had an episode uh, that I just called Steve Butcher's King Jack of Spades or something like that. So, exactly. And I think that's how you learn, right? That's how you learn sort of, you know, well, have that dialogue around it and just be authentic, be open and say, we all make mistakes, but here's what I was right. thinking. And, uh, I think Rob maybe has something to ask here. Sure. No, I don't have anything to ask. I just, I've watched all the videos so far. There's six oh. of them, six episodes so far. Yep. So I subscribed. I liked, I did all those things you wanted Great. us to do. Great. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Super. I, they're really fun to watch. I mean, the way you guys interact, I think is really, uh, really awesome. Good. Cool. Well, you know, it's actually reminds me a lot of you guys. I mean, it really is. A, we're, it's kind of like we're in this together to learn. Yeah. Yep. We're all working together, right, to help. And so a lot of the stuff we throw out there, it isn't like, hey, you should go do this and you're going to make money. It's like, hey, if this is a problem you have, try this. Maybe right. it'll help. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things that we keep hearing from all the, all the different people that we interview is, you know, one of the great ways you can learn is learn in the context of community, wrestle with it, you know, talk about right. it, have the discussion, be open and authentic about it. And that's, that's what yeah. you guys are doing. And I think, you know, Rob, Rob is one of our stalwarts here, and I think you know his endorsement goes a long way for the for all of Rec Poker Nation. So I would say, you know, if Rob thinks it's good, all of Rec Poker Nation should be liking and subscribing because what Rob says kind of goes. Subscribe. Yeah, what what Rob says kind of goes in our in Rec Poker Nation. Right, that's you're, kinda, you're like the second fiddle to Rob. Is that? Oh my God, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, there is no second fiddle to Rob. 
<laughs> well, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I want to get into a little bit of strategy if, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, and I know you guys are generally talking about low stakes cash games. We're generally talking about live tournament play, lower buy-ins. You know, obviously they're, they're different, but there's similarities. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that we've been talking about a bit this month is, you know, playing, playing small pairs, playing mid pairs from early and middle position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously that changes a bit in tournaments because your stack size changes throughout the course of a tournament. But I'm just going to kind of throw that out there as a wide open topic. I know that's super wide. It's, you know, mm-hmm. several weeks of conversation. But just from your perspective, like, what are some of the things that as recreational players, or I forget what the term is that you used uh, for sort of serious amateurs, um, how should we be thinking about those things in general principles type of terms? You first? <laughs> okay. Um, it's all about stack size. Okay. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cool. I got it right. Uh, yeah, it's all about stack size. Basically, um, I don't play a lot of tournaments, but I watch a lot of tournament poker, and I, and I see people that are playing tournaments. And the thing about small pairs is, is that they are really valuable if they are getting the right price to flop a set, okay? And the problem is, is that if you're trying to play them in early position and you see people limping in with their pocket sixes or whatever, and then there's a raise, and now it's come, come back around and they're having to call a raise. If you're playing in a cash game and everybody's on 100 or 150, 200 blinds, that's fine, you know, because you're getting the right price to try to, you're trying to, you have the right implied odds mm-hmm. to try to spike a six. But quite often in a tournament, you know, maybe you start off with a hundred blinds, but very quickly, particularly in the lower stakes tournaments, you're down to 50 or 40 or 30 blinds and you just are not getting the right price to call a, a raise and try to flop a set of sixes. And I see people all the time bleeding off significant portions to their stack. So for instance, let's say that you, you have 30 blinds and you call and you limp in for one blind and then somebody raises to three big blinds and now you call. Well, you've just invested 10% of your stack trying to spike a six. And you can't afford to do that. That's that's just an investment that you can't make when you're on 30 blinds. But with 60, it would be... If you had 60 blinds, it would be a different situation. Or if you were in late position and you could be, let's say, virtually sure that you were going to see a flop for that price, or you were completing the small blind for half a blind or whatever it is, right? Right. That would be fine. But I see people that it's like, well, if I, if I fold here and then a six comes up on the flop, I'm going to hate my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And that's, that's what it that's is. Just, yeah. I think it's FOMO. I think it's, I think it's regret. I think that's what people are yeah. doing it for because. And yeah. And that's just. Time that's, I pulled sixes and a six came. Yeah. Right. And that's just the price <laughs> that you pay for having 30 blinds and being in an early position mm-hmm. that you just can't limp in with your sixes yeah. and see what happens. And I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, it depends sort of involved like how many players in the pod and the effective mm-hmm. stack sizes of everybody. But, but you have sort of a general guideline of, of where that changeover, you kind of mentioned 30 and 60, but is there sort of a, yeah. a, a guideline? Yeah, Tommy can do that kind of a guideline. If you like there's sort of this middle piece, like there's, when you're really deep, you know, you play it for set value, you play for implied odds, 
when you're really shallow, you know, your seven big blinds, you just shove your pocket sixes. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of this middle range where it's sort of, it depends and maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it is. Talk a little bit yeah. about sort of where those crossover points are. Well, I mean, I'm going to have cash games in, in mind, but sure. generally speaking, the, the numbers I use with my clients is 10 to one and 15 to one as a minimum, meaning you need 10 to one minimum stack you know, implied odds to the bet uh, ratio to play your sets when you know you're going to be last to act the whole hand for sure. And 15 to one minimum when you're going to be out of position because the value is just less. Right. I don't. So that, that kind of speaks to that, that quasi zone in tournaments. My tendency is to be extra conservative though. If I'm in that 30 to 60 range, I don't want to do any of that bleeding. Okay. So the only time I would play the sixes in those situations, and this is kind of speaks to another point I want to bring up is, so far, we've been talking about set mining, which implies you're going to hit a six or fold. Of course, there's always the 5-4-3 the flop, mm-hmm. which we didn't plan on, right? I mean, there's other things that right. happen. Yes. But, when I'm, but generally speaking, I have a very clear mind in mind, depending on the opponent, of, of not set mining, of playing my hand for value in deep into the hand. And by that, I mean, let's say that I um, – Let's say I limp with sixes and I get raised from behind, okay, and I call. And it's a, a loose, aggressive player who has a very wide range and a very high C betting percentage, okay? And the flop comes ace, three, deuce. I might bet out there. I might check raise there. I might check call the flop and dunk the turn there with my pocket sixes. In other words, just because I played the hand doesn't mean I'm always set mining. Okay, so that is a big factor of me of whether or not I play the hand is, am I willing to get aggressive with this hand unimproved against this opponent? Mm-hmm. So I imagine that comes in, in tournaments big time. Well, absolutely. That's, I have to be, we have to be a little careful there because okay. if, you're pl- if you're sitting on 20 or 25 or 30 big blinds, by the time you do something like check raise the flop or something like that, yeah, he's going to shrug, call his ace queen. Well, what about sixty big blinds? That's a good number to be talking yeah. about. Is that in the in between zone you're talking about? Well, so when you're down in twenty or thirty, <laughs> you can just jam before the flop if you want, right? I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that's right. I think when you're, you're talking about with Tommy, with you know playing it for more than just the the set value, that is, I think when you have a deeper stack, right? That's kind of what you're getting at. Is right. absolutely against right. certain players, you're playing pocket sixes not just for implied odds of hitting a set, but also the fact that their range is wide, your sixes are going to be good more often. You're actually calling for value, you know, right. pre-flop more often. Right. Right. But yeah, when maybe, maybe to Lee's point, when you're down to 20 or 30, that's, that's dicier. That's part of why you just fold them because it's pretty tough to make Agreed. a move post-flop on those because if you're wrong yeah. in one street, your stack is gone. Right. Which goes back to Lee's initial answer. Stack size is, is so often determining mm-hmm. these things. And whether or not you, in your mind, are truly set mining or playing for value. And I, I will, if you guys are, you know, mostly into the live tournament thing, um, I assume that most of your community are aware of programs such as uh, Snapshot. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just have to know those numbers. Because if you don't, the guy next to you does know them. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where, as Tommy was saying, you know, you just rip it in with your sixes and either, either you win the pot or you don't. And I also, I see people routinely 
try to flop sets and stuff when they're on, you know, 15 big blinds Mm -hmm. or something like that. And that's just grossly wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the point is there comes a point where you're just going to bomb it in with your sixes. And so the, I guess I would say that there's kind of, you talk about these small to medium pairs, there's three different regimes. There's when you're going to shove with number blinds for your stack size, where you're going to shove with them, a stack size where you really have to fold them. And then a stack size where you can think about set mining them or becoming a little creative with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do for sure. I don't, Chris, Rob, John, do you guys have anything to add to that? No, just that if you uh, listen to your episode on folding pocket jacks pre-flop, mm-hmm. this is all the same things that you were saying about pocket jacks, about middle pair. Oh, yeah, when you know they have aces, kings, or queens. Right. Yeah, but this yeah. is a different situation. The, yeah. the pocket jacks episode was about when you have good reason to believe that you're up against a bigger hand. Yeah, Yeah, but you're also talking a lot about the stack depth that where you could actually set mine, right. even if somebody – based on your position if you feel that you're not going to get four bet or you're not going to get or you're closing the action if you have enough implied odds because of your stack depth you could potentially call with those jacks yes yeah but there's four sixes in this case yes right yeah that's where the similarity that's why i got that similarity yep yeah there we did touch on the same stack size concepts in there yes sir and you guys mentioned, um, I'm not sure if, which one of you, maybe it was Tommy, that you, a couple of times you referred to, you know, I might limp call there. And one of the things that we continue to get a little bit of mixed signals on uh, from different people that we have on the show, and that's why it's good, that's why it's good to have different perspectives, is mm-hmm. this idea of having a, a limping strategy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think some people we've had on to say, you know, if you're going to open, if you're first to enter the pot, you should never be limping. And others are saying, no, you should have some sort of a limping strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I infer from what you said that, you guys do have a limping strategy and it, it might do. involve these middle pairs. He does. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, not really. It's just <laughs> time, time periods. I had phases of my life where I never limped and phases when I did. Okay. And now I have one specific situation for limping and it has to do with pairs and stack sizes. And that is when, um, if the, if the state of the game is such or there's players behind me, it's probably going to be a raised pot, okay? And I want to play a single raised pot with my pocket deuces. But if there were two raises, so for an example, let's say we're playing 2-5, and if I limp for 5 and somebody else makes it 20, and I call and I have my, let's say, a $300 stack, okay, I'm getting my 15-to-1 out of position, it's all good, right? But if I open for 15, or 20 mm-hmm. and somebody else makes it 70 now i do not have the right odds to set mine okay so i predict if i think there's a decent chance that there's going to be a raise like some you know some games there's a raise almost every time that is the only time i limp so that i can keep the pot small enough to set mine period if it's a normal game with the normal amount of everything going out i'm playing my normal game then i will open make my normal open with any pocket pair i play so it's, it's kind of a special case where I'll limp there. And then the fun part is, and this is, we do have an episode <coughs> called Limp Re-Raising, is that when I do decide to limp with my deuces and somebody makes a 20 and it comes back around, I might re-raise here 
and, and bet 100% of the flops to represent aces or kings. So that's always in my backup plan anytime I limp with the low pairs that I might go ahead and re-raise before the flop and basically try to steal. Does, does that apply in that situation that you do have a, a strong value limping range like aces and kings? Say that again? Do you, do you, so when you're limping in those situations where you're, you feel fairly likely that you're going to be facing a raise behind, so you're limping with your, your small to medium pairs that you want to set mine with, uh, does that imply yeah. that you also have a frequency or there's, there's some sort of uh, time oh, where yeah, you're actually yes. limping with aces? With yes. You're limping with aces limp there. Aces and kings sometimes, yes. So you, so you can honestly represent aces and kings then with your, with right. your other stuff. Right, absolutely. Okay. Does that, and Lee, I want to hear your perspective on that too, but uh, in this category of having a limping strategy, is that also, would you fit in some suited, like some, you know, some suited connector combos in there too, or is it pretty much strictly pairs that you're doing that with? I guess, Tommy, uh, no. Tommy, you first. Answer, you right, no. Strategy. Okay, I answered that. Yeah. No, no. I don't, I don't open, uh, I have the tightest opening range in the world, I believe. But I mean, your, your limping strategy with like your pocket twos, pocket sixes, do you also have suited connectors in a limp, as part of your limping strategy? No, never. Okay, okay, interesting. Okay, Lee, how about your perspective on, on Tommy's view of limping, having a limping strategy? Um, well, I mean, Tommy's a really good poker player. I'm not going to argue with his. That's not what you told me off air. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the truth is, is that there are, rare occasions in which I'll limp in, but they might as well be non-existent. So mm -hmm. to a first approximation, yeah. I have no limping right. strategy. Um, one of the things that I find is, is that, and quite often I'm in a situation where I'm saying to somebody else, oh, these are the hands that you might want to play and here's how to play them and so on and so forth. Whenever I'm coaching somebody who is new or, you know, inexperienced or, you know, is struggling with the game, I always tell them, never limp in. Always come in for a raise. And one of the reason, one of the main reasons is because that becomes a leak for a lot of people. They use it as, a, as an excuse to start playing flop lotto. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And so I just tell people by forcing yourself to either fold or raise when you come in, mm -hmm. you just shut off what is a massive leak for a lot of right. people. And it's amazing to me how I can say to people. Okay, the one thing you're going to do, I don't care what you do, but do not limp in before the flop. Mm -hmm. And like 15 minutes later, boom, they're limping in before the yeah. flop. There's, yeah. something, there's something about the game yeah. that causes people to want to just put in the minimum and see if they hit the flop. Mm -hmm. So I feel that for most people, it's like, you know, like when you first learn to ski, they tell you to snowplow all the way down the hill. Mm -hmm. Right, because that way you're not going to face plant. It turns out that eventually you start doing turns. Right, it might be correct to have a limping strategy, but I think for 99% of players, if they would adopt a fold or raise strategy before the flop, they mm -hmm. would do way better. And you're saying it's not just because of the raises; it's because they're not going to limp in with Jack and offsuit. Exactly, right. because yeah. right, because it, it shuts off that leak, and I think it will, in general, and, cause them to right. play better. Right. That's it. That's an interesting take for sure. So it's the, yeah. the strategy Good. behind the strategy is we're going to try to get you to be more selective in your preflop hands. Yeah, and by the way, you'll be making the correct play. And, right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and by the way, you'll be right. making the correct play because right. yeah, because limping just there's just rarely any good yeah. that comes from it right unless you really have thought it out 
and right. like a tough yeah, situation. This is a rare case. Yeah. You're thinking yeah. Limbry Rays yeah. and, yeah. oh, here's my pocket pair and I don't want to get shut out of my set mining right. opportunities and stuff like right. that. That's not what those people are thinking. Right. No, yeah, right. No. There, I mean, most 99% of poker players are thinking, ooh, maybe if I limp with Jack-9, I'll get a 10 right. Seven flop, or I'll get a Jack Nine Three flop, right? But that's that's hoping. That's not planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so oh, nice. in terms of kind of kind of reconciling these two, so so Tommy has a specific situation with a specific table dynamic where it makes sense to open yep. limp with some small pairs. Yep. And you know, if if you're not doing that, if you're deciding to open, you know, to actually raise with those. Uh, you know, there's some upsides that come with that. The downside is, yeah, once in a while you're going to get re-raised off of a pocket pair. Right. So that's sort of you're you're giving up that sort of equity piece of now having to fold pocket sixes. Yep. But what you're gaining is better hand selection. You're gaining some fold equity. You yep. know, you're you're able to balance. You know, if you want to raise with your aces, those sorts of things. So it's, and gaining experience at just playing tough, aggressive poker. You know, right. That's part well, of it. Is breaking people yeah. out of their instead of passive, instead yeah. of being so passive. Right. Yeah. Right. When I sit down at a poker table and I see a bunch of people limping in, I'm like. Good poker yeah. game right there. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> when I see fold, 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 raise, fold, 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 I'm like, table change. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So, and, and the other thing is, by the way, is that if you get into the habit of, you know, raising your pocket sevens when you come in, like when you flop a set, like you're yeah. just betting because you're seat betting and like, that's when you get your stacks because you've built mm-hmm. a pot and there's, there is little that is less rewarding than flopping a set in an unraised pot. Hmm. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Now, again, we're talking cash games here, right? Sure. And it's, this is all a very different situation than if your community are people that are playing tournaments and they spend two-thirds of the tournament in a, you know, 20 to 50 big blind right. situation. And, and please don't take any of what we've just said and try to apply it to a 20 to 50 big blind situation. Yeah, I think that's good. I think, you know, we, we've been talking about stages of tournaments. So a lot of this is applying to sort of that, the early on stages, but that's where we've had a lot of conversations because people sit down and, you know, everybody's limping. Eight people are seeing every, every hand when the blinds are 25, 50. So it is that sort of situation that this applies to in a lot of ways, but that's a good, a good caveat, folks. We're not talking about having 15 or 20 bigs, you know, and, and limping in to see a flop. This is a different right. situation when we're deeper. Uh, Chris Jones, did you have something? Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to ask the opposite, you know, question, which is um, a little bit about, you know, and you said, oh, it's great when you sit down at a table and everybody's limping. So what is our approach when we sit down at a table and there's four limpers in front of us? Does that give us, uh, do we need to be more aggressive? Do we need to like shut all the people out? Or does it give us more permission to like, try to play that flop lotto and like limp ourselves in with our seven, six suited and see where, where we land. I mean, how do we approach when we have all these limpers in front of us? Well, I'll let Tommy answer, but I would ask one question first. Do you flop any better than everybody else does? <laughs> no. <laughs> in fact, we are, everybody in rec poker is worse than the average. I was going to say, you're yeah. probably all running below EV. None okay. of us have ever won with Ace King. All right. I'll None of us have ever won with Ace King either. Yeah, <coughs> I'll let Tommy so, take it from here. Wait, I hey, George. A, I, I have a, uh, I have a visual aid. I didn't know you had visual aid. Oh, yeah, I got a visual aid. <laughs> it's a multimedia presentation. Yeah. 
is a multimedia presentation. <laughs> this is when I limp with drawing hands. That's it. So if I have the 7.6 suited. That's a dealer button for people listening yeah. to the podcast. Yeah, good point. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. That was that's, a dealer button. That's my job. I failed. He's, he's um, holding up a dealer button. So if I'm in the hijack and four people limp and I've got 7.6 suited, I muck. If I'm in the cutoff and four people limp and I've got 7.6 suited and I have any – and the button is giving some indication of non-interest in the hand, I play it. I might limp. I might raise. If, I'm, if I want to give myself every chance of getting the cutoff out, button out, I raise. It's my routine is to raise any drawing hand I have in the cutoff. Okay? And then on the button, I limp 100% of the time. Seven, six offsuit. Four limpers, stacks are relevant. I am seeing that flop from the button every time. But to Chris's point, this is not an excuse to widen up and start playing trash and playing flop lotto with everybody else, unless you flop better than everybody <laughs> else does. Or unless you're on the button. Or, I mean, that's the button aside. Oh, okay, okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the button then, um, since you brought it up, because clearly you don't flop better if you're on the button. <laughs> Right. That's, that's not a thing. We don't flop better when right. we're on the button. Uh, yeah. But, it, you know, we're, obviously you're, you're getting at the power of position, the power to extract value from your opponents. You know, yeah. some people would hear that. And my first reaction was, okay, so you won't limp it on the, in the hijack or cutoff, but you will on the button. That seems, you know, I, I have some questions about that. But just generally talk about, okay, obviously you, you've, you have this extreme, um, you, you hold the button in very high regard. Yeah. So well, let's, not, let's talk yeah. about that. It's not the button specifically, it's acting last. Right, okay. right. So, so if I know I'm going to act last, the value of that 7.6 is like, in my mind, in, in a sense, it's like infinitely greater than any other seat. You know, there's, there's, the way I put it is like, there's only two positions on every street, last and not last. <laughs> Whoever's last has an advantage, and everyone else is at a disadvantage on every street for millions of years, however long we play, right? And so... The, the act of being last and not last is, is like such a huge, huge dividing line. And the reason is, give, it, give us that, okay, three people limp, we call seven, six, and two people call behind us. And the flop comes five, four, king. Yep. So one guy's got a king, queen. Another guy's got pocket sevens. These are people who are, are, are going to get to the turn. Somebody else has ace suited with one pair and a backdoor flush draw. And we've got our straight draw, right? And if you play this out over and over and over about the likelihood of you getting there cheaply and getting paid off if you hit your hand and take that exact scenario and put you on the button against those four players with that flop and you run that a million times, it's like so night and day difference. And then the other thing that is handed to everyone who's last is the opportunity to just steal the pot sometimes because everybody checked 18. Right. And that only goes to the person who acts last. And that is true on every, that potential is there every single hand. And so to me, the difference between acting last and not acting last is like, is the deciding factor between many of my preflop decisions. Right. So the key point here is, is that the difference between the button and the cutoff is like an order of magnitude bigger than the difference between the cutoff and the hijack. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's, it's not linear. It's extremely nonlinear. Mm. Right. Because from the hijack, there's two people behind you that are going right. to come in. That's why looking left from the cutoff is the most important seat to do that. If you have somebody sitting next to you who indicates their intentions before the flop 
and you're in the cutoff and you can get that information and now you have the 7-6, that information can and should determine whether you play the hand or not. Yeah, we call it, we call that actually promoting your position. You're promoting from cutoff to button because mm -hmm. you see the button with his cards, you know, yeah. or in, in a tournament, you know, the, the tournament break is coming up. You see it all right. the time, right? The button oh, yeah. throws his cards away and runs yeah. to the bathroom. Right. Right. Boom. You've got the button now. And now right. you have that but advantage. If anything I just said <coughs> is true, it, it depends on the truth of the, uh, of, uh, uh, is position worth that much more for the seven six being last compared to having two people behind you in these five way pots? And so, I feel it is, but you know, that's no, we, we preach position too, but I think what you articulated there is, is incredibly powerful. Uh, I think that's super helpful. The, the magnitude piece, the, if you're not last, you're, you're not, if you're not last, you're not last. Somebody else is. Uh, somebody yeah. else is, right, exactly. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that, that's come up is, you know, I'm thinking about the 7-6 suited on the button where you have the option to limp now. Let's say you have those four limpers in front of you. And let's uh, just and, make it off suit for fun because well, I don't think suitedness even matters here. Go you ahead. You know what? That is more fun. That is more yeah. fun. I'm going to yeah. go with clubs okay. and hearts because I think those, <laughs> are the, those are the most fun suits. Um, but, you know, this, this idea of punishing the limpers um, comes into play, this idea of, uh, okay, well, why not raise here? Because you you have some fold equity then, you punish the limpers, and you still have position if you get called. I mean, those are things that have come up as topics of conversation. Yeah. So yeah. You know, kind of a, a fill in the blank here, punishing the limpers is what? Well, I don't – the whole word punish <laughs> implies that they did something wrong, that they hmm. – you know, they're just playing poker. I don't um, – I think that that's a that's a kind of a faulty, aggressive, macho attitude to take. Oh, we got to punish them because they play bad. They limp. They must be bad players. I look at it as like, okay, if I can, if I know they're bad players because they limped, then I want to keep the pot small and wait till I got something and give them a chance to hang themselves for a lot of money on the turn and river, right? I, I, I guess. What, what, yeah, I, that that's good. I, I like that. But what if we think of it as not so much they're bad players, but just you know, their 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 hands aren't strong enough. So all they could do is limp. So mm -hmm. the, the, I guess punishing is maybe the wrong word, but okay. we, want, we want to kind of put them to the test. We want to apply pressure to the people. Well, that one kind of, one thing to consider is, is that if you have seven six, you're not exactly punishing limpers with seven high, right? I mean, if we think of this from a Sklansky Bucks perspective, like if I have pocket queens and a bunch of people limp mm -hmm. and I make the pot bigger, then I'm making money like for every chip they put into the pot right, right here, right now. Because you have the best hand. Because I have the best hand, right? right? Mm. And so whatever happens post-flop, I profit right here, right now with my pocket queens. Mm -hmm. It's a different situation if I have seven, six, because it's not at all clear who has the most equity going into the flop and seven, six probably doesn't have the most equity going into the flop. So there's prop, there's real value in yeah. considering in thinking about, you know, I mean that, that is the side things like, will it enable me to steal the pot on, oh. on the flop? Right. Well, that, that's, yeah. Okay. That's where the real value comes from. When I do raise with seven, six, it's because I'm setting myself up to see that. And, and, you know, likely make, them make money if these guys miss, right? 
So, so I believe that the correctness of whether or not to raise or not depends a lot on what your plan is and your willingness is post-flop. So if I'm playing against a bunch of really bad players, who I would just as soon make something first mm-hmm. rather than build a pot and then count on seed betting, even though it's profitable, as where my profit comes from. Right? But there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I mean, you could say, you know, there are times when it could be correct to uh, raise with seven deuce offsuit and see bet 100% of time. And against certain fit and fold players at certain times, that will be profitable because they're never going to re-raise you without a big hand and all that, right? But this is not our recommendation <laughs> that you do. Yeah. No, so what I'm, but what I'm saying is those are the factors. It is like, yeah, you were saying, what about re-raising? Yeah. You know, what about reason? That's a certainly legitimate way to play, but that does require uh, sort of uh, a higher fluctuation a willingness for more fluctuation after the flop with no yeah. hand. I, I like that a lot. And I, I do like what you said about, you know, sort of a macho attitude too of, uh, of that. So I think it's a, it's a good thing to sort of assess like what, why am I raising here? Because I want to punish them for what we think is playing them poorly, or is it actually a strategic decision where yeah. I thought through the rest of the hand and I'm willing to take on maybe excessive variance at a time when, you know, maybe yeah. I shouldn't be early right. in a tournament. And this really comes to style. And I'm, I mean, I don't play tournaments at all. If I were playing terms, I would certainly play a way more aggressive style than I do when I'm playing live cash games. Yeah, okay. But I just come to enjoy these situations I used to raise all the time. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, I'll see the flop of 7-6. And just fold if you don't, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like life has just gotten a little, I hate to say it, simpler. Ah, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think part of that is, again, um, I tend not to be as – I don't, I don't think I play quite as tight as Tommy does up front, but I don't think I play quite as loose as he does in back. Mm. Okay. Like, yeah. Once a decade, he'll play yeah. six-deuce all suit on the button. <laughs> okay, I just don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, but again, that's once a decade. Let, let's be clear here. Um, I play ace-jack suited if I'm feeling frisky Under in the early, early position. And right. He does, mm-hmm. right. Right. So, but the point is, is that it's really both of us play very snug, very, very snug up front. And we both loosen up a lot around the back. And I can't overstate this, this idea of the nonlinearity mm-hmm. of the improvement in position as you get close to the button. I love that. Yeah. That's a tremendous yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in, uh, when I devised various charts and things, I don't, uh, you know, it used to be everybody talked about early position, middle position, late position. And I just lump all the seats other than the last three seats in early position. And yeah. what I mean by that is my betting decisions don't change. My opening ranges don't change until the hijack seat at yeah, all. I think I've seen that, yeah. Yeah. And, but, but it doesn't matter whether that's right or not. It does sure. make the point yep. that the difference in value of those positions is far less than when you get to the end, like we were saying. Yeah. Chris, did you have something? Yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted to shift gears since we're talking to cash game specialists and talk a little bit about, uh, I think there's other states like Minnesota um, out there that have uh, this variant of uh, called 2-100 spread. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played that before? We've played spreads and games like that, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious because most of the... Had, had spread limit before they figured out how to uh, break through the legal problems for no limit. Yeah, and so most of the content out there that you can find is either about limit games or 
uh, no limit games. And I'm wondering if, uh, are there any strategic things that we should change when we're playing in a spread limit game? So what are those typical stacks and, and what are the blinds? Um, it's usually, it's a $1, $2 blind and it's, a, a usually a 300 or $400 max buy-in. So stacks are start at about 300 to $400. And the max bet is a hundred. Yep. So how often do you actually see, I'm going to engage for just how loose the game. How often do you actually see hands where somebody bets a hundred on the turn and gets called and they would normally be betting two or 300 on the river, but they're forced to bet a hundred. Does that come up much? Yes, I would say it does, but okay. in the in the later streets, definitely in the later streets. Yeah, yeah not, that's fine. Not it does actually yeah. come up. Okay. Um, I would say my off the top of my head, and I have played very, very little um, spread limit. Okay, so please take this with a grain of salt. But the first thing that comes to mind is you better not plan any multi-street bluffs. Oh yeah, right. Because <laughs> your river bet, you just can't drop a two-thirds pot bet on them right on the river and if you if you've bet a hundred dollars on the turn you know and there's three or four hundred dollars in the pot then they're going to be getting four or five or six to one on a river call you know yeah you're just not it's not going to get through often enough yeah is that what you do well, the other thing I was going to, this is John here. The other thing I've noticed is that the implied pressure is very much different because a, in a, in a no limit game, a $75 turn bet is putting a two to $300 river bet implied pressure on them. So by calling that $75, they're thinking about the 200 in this game. If you're putting a $75 turn bet, there, the implied pressure is a hundred dollar river bet, which right. is yeah. quite a bit different. It's yeah. closer to a limit game when you yeah. get big bets than not. Yeah. So you're in Minnesota too. Yes. Okay. So um, yeah, I mean, I haven't actually played in these games in a long, long time, but but it just seems like not bluffing would be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the other the other thing is that quite often um, you're not really getting the price for long shot draws oh that too yeah it's good okay yeah so for instance uh set mining you know you have to be that much more careful about um trying to do set mining because you may not be able to collect enough throughout the hand to justify it or i i imagine that quite often um i think people over overdo this anyway, but like, let's say you have a flush draw on the turn. I mean, you know, you're four to one against to hit your card on the river. People pay over the odds as it is, but sometimes you can forgive that a little bit because they've got some implied odds. If they, if they make their flush on the river, then maybe get a big bet paid Mm -hmm. off. But if you can't get a big bet paid off, then that's even more reason that you really aren't getting routinely are not getting the right Right. price to, to draw. Right. So, <coughs> so there are situations where you wouldn't draw. Yeah. So the, you those situations no where in, in a pure no limit game, you might say, yeah, yeah well, if I hit my yeah. club or whatever it is, right. maybe I can get half his stack. But if I hit my club, well, I get $100. Yeah, it's not worth it. Hmm. That's good. Anything else, guys, on that, on the cash side? 
Well, I know we're, we're almost at time here. The time it just flies when I talk to you guys. This is crazy. Um, but but uh, I guess any final words that you want to share on stuff that we've covered or tell us a little bit about kind of where can people find you? How can they connect with you? Let's talk about videos. Okay. Are you videos? Video series? <laughs> no, no, is this, is this, you guys should be a stand-up routine. That's what you guys should be like. This, this could be a comedy well, we, we, we try to, insert, we have a sit down. Recently. We, we insert some humor into, into, yeah, we put humor in our videos and the, it, it, some of them come out funny because it looks like two guys trying to be funny who aren't, but that's <laughs> funny. So, so there's value in that. That's like, um, that's yeah, like the, the, the meta game. In the videos, Tommy has the hat. Yeah. We're two bald guys. But Tommy <laughs> has the hats. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, um, but how, how, do, how do people find you? How do they, how do they watch you? How oh, do they oh. connect? Just uh, go to YouTube, search for Poker Simple, one word, one word, or search for our names there. Um, you know, as Rob said, we got six videos out. We're cranking one out this week. This week's is called uh, "Go Up." Oh, and they go up every Wednesday, like clockwork. Okay. That's our commitment to the universe. And the one coming up this week is called "I Finally Flopped a Set." Now what? <laughs> and uh, so Rob already knows this, but we've been having fun with. Um, like anytime we're talking about hands, we uh, there's heroes and villains, right? So we put pictures in there. So like the first episode, which is called Value Betting the Turn, um, when, the, when, we, when the hands put up, we have all the Batman characters. So there's like Batman <laughs> from the original show in the 60s, and then the Joker and, and the villains, right? And so we got a Star Wars set and James Bond. And so... We're, we're, you know, we put little movie clips and stuff in there. And so we have a lot of fun with the editing of, of yeah, the Yeah, because we want to make sure, because I will tell you, it, uh, it gets pretty boring watching two old bald guys just talk <laughs> for a while. So we <laughs> gotta throw we, some we color in there. sparkle in there. But we had no idea when we started this, you know, I mean, we were at every point, we're like, okay, there's no reason to stop yet. So we might as well keep going. And we're like, we got to the point where it was like, wow, we're really going to do this. You know, pull the trigger. Okay, well, people said it doesn't suck. You want to keep doing it? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's keep doing it. And that's kind of how it's been. And now yeah. it's really just for the first time, like now, getting some wind where we feel like, you know, we're getting a few hundred people subscribed. We know that there are at least 20 people out there who like what we're doing. So we're going to keep doing it. Yeah, that's basically. And you got one of them right here. I mean, Rob's right here. (laughs) And I've seen them too. It's good stuff. And I'd say, you know, Rec Poker Nation, get out there, man. Get out there, subscribe, like, share, uh, whatever it is that you need to do. I mean, if if nothing else, it's just sort of gratitude for these guys taking the time and coming on our show. But uh, I think you'll you'll like it. I think it's fun. Um, Do you guys have sort of a, is there an end goal in mind? Or is it just, we're just going to do this and have fun while it lasts and just see what happens? Incredibly, we have a plan? no, incredibly, Love that it. is our plan. Love it. Yeah, have fun. Yeah. That seems like a good plan. <laughs> yeah, we are. And we really actually, are. I mean, I've told Lee a million times. I said, when it comes to my projects, if I don't enjoy it, I won't do it. Yeah. It isn't like I'm going to choose to stop. You know, right. <laughs> right. I only do it if I'm having fun. We're having a ball. No, no, I know. I looked at your site quick, Tommy, and I know Lee, I think you do also, but you guys do some individual coaching as well. Is that part of your, yes. your business model? Yes. Yeah, so basically the two things we have for sale are books and coaching. And hats. Don't forget. Oh, and hats. Oh, my and God. And hats. You got hats. Should I go get one no. and wear it? Trust <laughs> us. We have hats. <laughs> we'll, we'll trust so, you. It, it's a pretty cool hat. <laughs> it's actually. a way cool hat. Um, uh, yes. So Lee wrote a book in 19... Uh, Where are you thinking? <laughs> called, uh, Winning Low Limit Hold'em, which is, is one of the great poker books. I mean, it's truly one of the classics. 
And then I have my books, and we both have our coaching. So if you want to read about our coaching offerings, you go to our individual sites, TommyAngelo.com and LeeJones.com, and you can check out what we're offering as far as coaching. Awesome. Yeah, guys, check that out. And we just had a comment here from Rick Day, who's down in North Carolina. Uh, Rick says he's watched the first four of your videos, and they are very good. So we've got a a non-Minnesotan validation (laughs) on you guys as well. So Nice. uh, Oh, uh, where where, where are you in uh, North Carolina, Rick? Do you play out at uh, Cherokee, or what do you do? He's just on the chat. So, yeah, Rick, throw in the chat uh, where you're playing. Yeah, Lee knows that area. Yeah, I, I used to live in Asheville, so. Rick, I'm going to allow you to talk actually here. I don't know if you're hooked up to do it or not, either chat or you're actually, uh, you can chat if you want Rick there as well. You'd have to, uh, I'll unmute you. Oh, there he goes. There he goes. Hey. There you go. I'm in. He said, how are you all doing is what what Rick said. I don't don't really understand what that means. but (laughs) (laughs) kind of like saying use guys, I guess. Oh, use guys. Yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm in uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina. And uh, just play mostly home games, bar tavern uh, stuff. I just left the tavern game, got busted out with uh, Pocket Kings. And uh, how about them apples? So pretty excited. <laughs> He's on for eight seconds and we get a bad pizza. <laughs> We're not going to yeah. charge you for that one. Go ahead. I appreciate it. But really enjoy your uh, four videos. It, it, uh, I like that they're concise, 15, 20 minutes, bam, boom, and you get some good information real quick that uh, I can apply to the home games. So nice. So it, it's, it's a good deal. So enjoy it. Appreciate Great. that. Thank you so yeah. much. Great. Yeah. All right. And, well, and, uh, feel free to leave comments at YouTube. And any if you have any requests for topics, put them in a comment at YouTube under a video, and we'll see it. And we'll yeah, probably do it. Sure. Sounds good. We'll put That's the good. links. To, we'll put the links out uh, for you guys out in our show notes. We'll make sure that Rec Poker Nation knows all about what's going on if they don't already. Oh. And uh, man, appreciate you guys' time. And you're welcome on the show anytime. We're, Even though you're from California, we still would welcome you on the show. Yeah, it's been great. And we love what you're doing. Thanks, man. All right. We'll, we'll take care. We'll, we'll chat okay. later. Bye now. Right. See you. Bye, Bye, guys. All right, everybody. Well, that is it. Thanks to Tommy. Thanks to Lee. Uh, Chris Jones, Rob Washam, John Somsky, Rick Day. Thanks for chiming in there. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for the interview. Thanks again to Tommy and Lee. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with those guys. A uh, reminder, we got our meet and greet coming up October 28th, Monday night at Oodipal's gathering around 530. We'll do a podcast recording six to seven and then just hang out, watch Monday Night Football, have a few drinks. Uh, you're, you're, you're buy one, get one on your first round if you are a member of the Rec Poker community, even if you're a trial member. So it might be worth just signing up for the trial uh, to get the free drinks. Uh, and then reminder on Wednesday night, the 23rd, we have our chapter four discussion of the Andrew Brokus book. Uh, With that, thanks again to Running Aces, our official sponsor, and thanks to all of you who have been engaged with everything we've been doing with Rec Poker. Uh, It's a fun community, and we appreciate you being part of it. We'll catch you next time.